Carl leading us in our singing this morning. And that last song, uh, I want to be a worker for the Lord or in the vineyard of the Lord, it's named both of those, is my favorite song in Spanish. Uh, When I go on mission trips to Latin America, I always request it. Uh, At some point during the campaign, it's very similar to uh, this. It's very easy to learn, and so I, I enjoy singing it. It's one of my favorites that we sing during the week, and as he was singing that, I thought about uh, this upcoming week. I've covered your prayers. On Saturday morning, I'll be flying down to Costa Rica. Um, I'll be flying into San Jose about one o'clock. Lord willing, I'll arrive there, and uh, Rodan will pick me up, my translator, and we're going to be driving up to Pala. Uh, it's pretty close to the Nicaraguan border, about 30 miles or so. And uh, we're going to be getting ready for our campaign, meeting with the church, meeting with hotels, owners, and uh, trying to make sure we got everything set for my upcoming campaign in July. And so uh, I ask for your prayers as I'll be traveling for safe tra- travels and that everything will go smoothly. And Lord willing, I'll be back with you all. Uh, I'll be here this Wednesday, and then I'll be back the following Wednesday to continue our study in Matthew. And Luke Griffin uh, should be here on Sunday to preach, so... I know you'll be looking forward to that and appreciate him filling in for me while I'm gone. The year is 19 and 10. The month is February and there was a voyage, a ship called the USS Kentucky. And it was leaving from the coast of Virginia, a little town called Newport News, Virginia. And it had been there for several months getting some repairs, getting some tune-ups, getting some things done to it to make sure that it was ready for this long voyage, this this five-month voyage to the Pacific Northwest where it would sit and stay for a long, expended time. There was a man on that ship. He was the steam, steamer's wireless room telegraphics. His name was W.D. McGinnis. And he was the one that was on that ship that day, and he was not originally planned to be on that ship. There was another man that was supposed to come, but, but, but this man, uh, his name was Thomas McCarthy, He had bailed on the job at the last minute because of his mother. His mother had had some nightmares, some bad dreams about uh, her her son, Thomas, being on this ship and had a nightmare of the ship drowning and and falling into the ocean. And because of that, he he said, I can't go. My mother's scared about me. So he did not go on this journey. So W.D. McGinnis took his place. They left from Newport News and they were on the Kentuckian and they were sailing, sailing down south. And they became a hit a fierce storm. They they hit this storm. It became very fierce. The winds were very heavy. The, the rain became very very heavy. And the repairs that they had just been working on was ones that were not holding up. They, the ship becomes to fall apart because of this storm that happened. And on February the third, there was a town in North Carolina called Cape. Heratus, and they received this message. Dit, 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 da, 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 dit, dit, dit. And if you know Morse code, you know that is the letters S-O-S. And on that morning of February the 3rd, as soon as they got that transmission there in North Carolina, the international signal for help, they began to go out 
And that after that message was sent of SOS, there was this message that followed. Our We are sinking. Our latitude is 3210. Our longitude is 7630. And it was 110 nautical miles off the coast of North Carolina. And because of that simple message of SOS, dit, 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 da, 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 dit, 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 it saved 46 crew members, all lives that were on that ship. Now, SOS means save our ship or save our souls. And because of that simple message that was sent that day, it saved all 46 lives. Now, that's not the only time that that message was used to save lives. It was also used in the Titanic, the Lusitanian, and other major disasters to save people's lives from that. This morning, I want us to use that story to springboard into our lesson of save one soul. Not save our souls, but save one soul. Uh, we've been studying evangelism now for a few weeks, and I want to kind of tie in some lessons that we've learned, tie in some things that we've been learning about to be able to help us understand our responsibility here on earth. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And that is our responsibility as an individual, as a Christian. We are to go out into all the world and save souls through the preaching of the message that saves. Romans 1 and verse number 16. So this morning, I want us to look at four very quick points about save one soul. We need to save one soul because of the value of one soul. The value. Now, I'm talking about the price tag. When you think about an item, you think about a price tag. You go over to, to the coat rack, you go over to the, to the store, and you're looking at something, you're looking at an item, and you look at that price tag, and you say, ooh, that's too much, and you walk away. And you go over to something else and be like, ooh, that's a good deal, i got to buy that. And what do you do? You put it in your cart, you go check out, and you pay for that item. You pay for that price. But when it comes to a human soul, how much is it worth? How much is a human soul worth? I want to start out by looking at Luke chapter 15 very quickly this morning. Here in Luke chapter 15, you see that it is one of the teachings of Jesus. And we studied a few weeks ago about the book of Luke and how that Luke demonstrates the compassion that Jesus has towards an individual. The compassion, the love that he has towards humanity. And he is going to do so in three ways. He is going to tell three stories here in Luke chapter 15, to emphasize the value, the importance of one soul. Now, let's let's begin looking at this. Look at verse number 4. What man of you having 100 sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one in which he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now you might be looking at that story and you see the importance of somebody that is that is lost, something that is lost. But I, what I want you to emphasize and see this morning is this. He had 100 sheep. Now that's a pretty good flock of sheep. That's a pretty good amount of sheep. And he only loses one of them. And what does this man do after he loses just one simple, dumb little sheep? Now, the sheep might have very easily begin grazing and got separated from the pack. We can look at the uh, the the uh, not so smartness you might say of a sheep because they are very dumb. If I'm going to put it bluntly, but you can we can see that here in this story. But what I want to emphasize is he only lost one. 
I mean, he only lost, he had 99 more others he can take care of. He could easily replace that one sheep. But what did this man do? Because of the value of one soul, these, these 99 sheep, these 100 sheep, represent souls. They represent people in this story. And because one of them was lost, what does that emphasize to us? The value of just one soul. Even though there's 99 others that he can take care of, he still goes and finds that one lost sheep and brings it home. So we see the importance of the 1%. The 1%. And that's what we see here in this story. Go down to verse number 8. We see the parable of the lost coin. So we see the parable of the lost sheep. Now we're going to look at the parable of the lost coin. Look there at verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light the lamp, sweep the house and search for it until she finds it? And again, you see the same result. She searches for it. She calls her friends. She rejoices because she found that piece of silver. Now, compare the ratio. One lost one to 99 okay sheep. Whereas in this story, you got one lost coin to what? Nine okay coins, ones that are safe. Now, I don't know the value of this coin. Obviously, it's a piece of silver, so it's a significant value. It has some some evidence to it. But it's only one coin. It's only one thing. But yet it is 10% of her earnings. It's 10% of what she has in this story. What if you lost 10% of your life's wages? What if you lost 10% of your bank account? What would you do? You'd you'd begin to be frantic, right? You'd be worried about those things because why? You might be thinking, a sheep's not worth anything to me, but what about your bank account? What about your wallet? Again, what does this story emphasize? It's not talking about your bank account. It's not talking about how much pieces of silver you have. It's talking about souls. It goes from 1% to now 10%. This lady lost 10% of her goods. And what does she do? She searches for it. She goes and she searches frantically for it. What are you doing for the one lost coin in your life? What are you doing for the one lost person in your life? And then you get down to verse number 11. And a certain man had two sons. Now what do you see here? You see 1%. You see 10%. But now he has two sons and one of them is lost, right? 50%. What is he doing each time? He's progressively getting the percentages higher. And he goes from something that's really insignificant to us today, sheep, to something that hits a little bit more home, our wallets. Now he's going to hit home really something home, and that is our family members, an individual. And really, people is what this whole story is all about. It's about people that are lost and us going to search for them. And we know this the, the parable of the lost son, the Boy that goes away, he lives in riotous living, but he comes back home. And what does that father do once that boy comes back home? He begins to rejoice and hug his neck and has a great feast for him. So what do we see from these parables of Jesus? We see the importance, the value of one soul. The value of one soul. You know, Jesus had something to say about the value of one soul. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 Beginning in verse number 26, Jesus said this, For what does it profit? Now we're talking about the value, so that idea of profit is value. For what does it profit if a man shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give for an exchange for his soul? How much is the soul value? Can't value a soul. A value is invaluable. And because a soul is invaluable... 
we need to be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and teach them the gospel so that they can have the joy of salvation. You know, when we think about the value of a soul, we see the value there in Luke 15. We see Jesus said that, What shall a man give in exchange for its soul? We see that it's impossible to give a value for a person's soul. But what about Acts chapter 8? There in Acts chapter 8, we see the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's several things that we can mention there, but the one thing I want you to notice is this. There was a man that was traveling back. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he couldn't worship because of him being a eunuch. So he sat on the outer gates, and he was on his way home, and the Spirit of Spirit of the Lord told Philip to go arise and teach this man. Now, it wasn't just going across the street to teach this man. It wasn't just going to the next town over. It was a distance of about 50 miles. 50 miles to go teach this one man the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that emphasize to me and you? Number one, it emphasizes to me the value of one soul. This man is not just going next next door over. He's going all the way, 50 miles. And it wasn't just as easy as getting in a car. I know Clay this morning says it's 50 miles from my driveway here. It'd take you probably about an hour, maybe a little over an hour to get here. Because we have a car that can go very fast. We have good, good roads that we can get on, highways. But during that time, you had to ride during in a donkey. You had to ride during a horse. It took a very long, significant time. So it shows to me, number one, the value of a soul. But number two... The importance of going the extra mile. This man was not just willing to go next door, but he was willing to go a good journey's distance to teach one man the gospel. And that shows the value of a soul. It shows the importance of going the extra mile to reach the souls of men. I want to give you six reasons on the value of a soul. Every soul, number one, will live an infinite amount of time. A soul... Is going to live an infinite amount of time. We know that death is the separation of our body from our souls. You can see that in the book of James. And that soul is going to go up into heaven and it's going to spend eternity somewhere. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 46, it says, Then they shall go into eternal punishment for the right, the righteous to eternal life. So we understand, hey, that that soul, when, even though their body is going to stay here on earth, the soul departs to go up to heaven or to, to hell to, to live with God forever, to go live with the devil forever. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. It's going to live an infinite amount of time. And because of that, we see the value of the soul. Number two, every soul will experience an infinite amount of time of pain or pleasure. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the soul that sins, it shall die. You know, we talk about death. Death is a very... Sobering thought, it's a very sad thing to talk about, but what is death? Death is the separation of your soul from your body. But what is the second death? It is the separation from God and the soul to, to eternal death. Where that plane is, go, where the, the book of Revelation talks about it as a weeping of gnashing and teeth. Jesus teaches about that as well. And we need to understand that it is going to spend eternity somewhere in pleasure. Talking about heaven or pain, talking about hell. Every soul is infinite, infinitely precious to God. Why is that? Because Jesus died for every soul. Jesus died for all of humanity. And because Jesus died for all of humanity, we need to understand that every soul is valuable before God. God, number four, God was willing to pay an infinite price for every soul. Psalms 49 verses 6 through 8. 
They that trust in wealth and boast in themselves in a multitude of riches, none of them can be by means of the Redeemer of his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is precious. When you look at a soul and you think about the value of a soul, think about what it took for Jesus to die upon that cross. What did he give up for that soul? He gave up the best place, and that is heaven, to come to this old wicked world, to die and live like a man, and to go through the things that he suffered because of the value of one and everybody's soul here on earth. Number five, the blood of Jesus is able to save an infinite amount of souls. First uh, John 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Jesus died for all of humanity. He redeemed us from all, so therefore everybody has access to the blood of Jesus if they're willing to be obedient to his gospel. And number six, every soul is worth an infinite amount of trouble on our part. Think about the eunuch there on that last point. Every soul is worth an infinite amount of trouble on our part. Think about the eunuch. What did Philip do to go teach that eunuch? He went out of his way. He went a long distance mile. What are you doing to save one soul? Are you willing to go out of your way to save one soul? Are you willing to go that extra mile? Are you willing to put forth a little bit more effort to try to teach one person the gospel? You know, many times we talk about going the extra mile. Why don't we go the Savior's mile? Go willing, Be willing to do what Jesus did and go that extra mile for somebody to save their soul. He that wins souls is wise. Proverbs 13 excuse me, 11 in verse number 13. Number one, we see the value of one soul. But number two, I want us to emphasize the because of the power of one. The power of one. When you think about the power of one, I want you to think about a seed. One little bitty seed that is planted in the earth. You cover it up, you water it. What happens to that seed? It begins to take root and to grow, and it germinates and it brings forth fruit. And you take that seed, you plant it in the ground. You cover it up, you water it, it gives you sunlight, and it what? Begins to grow. You take a fruit from that tree that it produces, take another seed, and you plant it. From one seed, what do you get? Multitude of multitudes of fruit. Because it's going to reproduce after its kind. What about the power of one soul? We talked about the value of one soul. We see that it's innumerable. It's, in, it's impossible to amount. We shouldn't give anything for an exchange for soul. But what about the power of one soul? I want to illustrate that by the conversion of Peter. Go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Here we see the, the first instance of Peter in the gospel of John. John chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 40. Notice what it says here. One of the two which had heard John speak and followed him, notice this, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we see two men, you see Andrew, and you see his brother named Peter, Simon. What does it say in verse number 41? He, talking about Andrew, first found his own brother Simon, talking about Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Now underline this phrase in verse number 40. And he brought him to Jesus. Brought him to Jesus. What if Andrew 
and never brought his own brother Peter to Jesus. I think there's providence, of course, involved. I think God had a plan to use Peter to teach us many things through the gospel and be the leader that he was in the New Testament. But the thing that I see from this story was because this man named Andrew brought his brother Peter to the Lord, how many souls were brought to Christ because of the preaching of Peter? We know that 3,000 obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost. That many others obeyed the gospel through the book of Acts because of the preaching of Peter. How many souls did Peter influence that we don't even read about in the Bible? I think many because in 1 Peter chapter 5 we read about Peter being an elder. Of course to be a leader in the church of being an elder, I think he was one that wins souls. He was one that had a soul winner's mind, a soul winner's attitude. By simply bringing one person to Christ, that one person brought multiple to Christ. We, we read about Andrew very little in the New Testament. We read about it maybe in some of the miracles and some of the conversations with Jesus, but not very much. But we do read a lot about Peter. Because Andrew brought Jesus to Christ. Peter was able to bring a whole lot of people to Christ. You might not be a Peter, but can you be an Andrew? Think about that for a second. You might, you might not get up and preach the gospel. You might not be able to get up and, and persuade thousands, or, you know, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. But can you sit down with one person and do a Bible study? And what if that one person that you convert to Christ goes out and converts a hundred people? Because of the preaching that they've done, because of the truth that they learned, and they were obedient to that person's preaching. You might not be a Peter, but can you be an Andrew and bring one person to Jesus. How about the conversion of Saul. Or what we call Paul. What about his conversion. We read in Acts chapter nine, 8. Uh, excuse me. Acts chapter 9. That light from heaven. Shined down from Jesus from heaven above. And it blinded Peter, uh, Paul. And what happens there in that story. There, there's, a, there's an important phrase there. That I think we many times skip over. In that conversion is this. He is a chosen vessel. You can see in the book of Colossians that that he is a that I am a chosen vessel is emphasized throughout that book in the first few verses. But because he is a chosen vessel, he goes forth and continues to preach God's word. The power of one one person that was killing Christians becomes a New Testament Christian and goes and converts other Christians. Power of one. You many of you in this room probably know the name Marshall Keeble. Marshall Keeble is one of the fantastic gospel preachers that has gone on to his reward. But you know what we don't know about Marshall Keeble? Who converted him? But there's a lot of people today that are Christians because of the preaching of Marshall Keeble. But who brought Marshall Keeble to Christ? I don't know. But the power of one person bringing Marshall Keeble to Christ brought thousands of Christ. The power of one. What about the power of one invitation? What if, you, what if you invite your, your family, your co-worker, somebody to come with you to Christ and they hear the message of Jesus preached and because of that one invitation that you invited them to, to church services, it leads them to obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about the power of one track? There's a story that is told and I cannot prove this is true or false. So I'm, I'm going to say that on the premise. It's a wise tale. Yeah, I, I like the story so I'm going to tell it and they tell it like it's true so I'm going to tell it like it's true as well. There were some boys on the coast of Panama. And as they were working during the week of their campaign, they had a stack of tracts of what is the Church of Christ. And 
They were handing them out on the island. It began to get hot. It began to get tiresome. And they wanted to go back to camp, but they couldn't go back to the camp until every track was passed out. So they began to find some bottles. They dried them out. They put those tracks in those track racks and they threw them in the ocean. Twisted them up, put them up, put the cap on, threw it in the ocean. A few years go by, they go to the next island. A couple miles down the coastline. And they're door knocking and they come up to this man's door and they say, hey, we're from the Church of Christ and we want to invite you to church services and we'd like to see if you'd like to study the Bible. And this man says, I'm ready to be baptized for the remission of my sins and be added to the New Testament church. And they began to question the man. Why do you know that? How do you know that? He says, hold on one second. He goes back to his back bedroom and he gets out this track and it's worn out. You can tell that he's been reading it a lot. He goes through and he says, I've been reading this track and it was called, What is the Church of Christ? And he began to say, I've been reading this every day since I got it and I've been waiting for you to come to my door. The power of one track. The power of one message. The power of one sermon. You think about the power of one. Never underestimate God and the power of His gospel. What about the power of one house-to-house mail? I, I got some messages here I'm going to read to you very quickly because to emphasize this point. This is, this is messages I've gotten within the last two weeks working with house to house. This is the first one. Meet Kyle. Kyle was first introduced to the church through house to house. He has been a Christian for five years now, and that was in Kentucky, Bowling Green, Kentucky. This week I got this message. I just met someone at Freed Lectures who told me about four new movers conversions, three restorations, and one baptism. That's nine that I've heard about in the last two weeks only because I've ran into them. More being done on earth than we'll ever know. And that's because of the new movers through house to house and the mailings that, that we're able to do through house to house. That's worldwide. It's, it's reports like that all the time we're getting. But what if we never mailed house to house? What if we never tried to reach our neighbors? We never know. When I think about the power of one, I think about this quote. My little bit of something is a whole lot better than your nothing. And you think about that. A little bit of something is a whole lot better than your nothing. What if you just do a little bit? What if you plant one seed? What if you plant one seed? What if you convert one soul to Christ? The power of one. Let's look at our third point. The reason we need to save one soul is because eternity is real. Eternity, hell, heaven is real. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. Here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus kind of gives us a glimpse into the judgment scene, the judgment of all people. And what does he say? He, he talks about judging them. And then he, what does he say there in verse number 41 of this text? Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into, notice this, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Skip down to verse number 46, the conclusion of this teaching. He says, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. What do we see? We see eternity is real. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. There's some people today that, that say, well, and there's even religious people out there that say heaven's not real. But friends, Jesus taught heaven and heaven and hell were real. Therefore, we need to teach and believe that heaven and hell is real. Go with me to Luke chapter 16. Here in Luke chapter 16, this is a very familiar uh, teaching to you. It is the 
the the encounter between the rich man and Lazarus. Some people believe this is a parable, but I, I, I do not personally believe it is a parable because he uses real names, he uses real people's lives. And what is it? What is this story about? Verse number nineteen. There was a rich man who clothed in purple, that is, showed royalty and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid there at the gate. And we, and we can see there that he laid at the and, and ate the the uh, fed the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, and you can see that. But notice this, verse 22. So the beggar died and was carried into the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died also, and he died. It doesn't matter what kind of possessions you have here on life. You know what the common denominator is? We're all going to die. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 is, Point man wants to die, and after this the judgment. But what does it say here? Verse number 27. And being in torment... In Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And he sent Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in torment in this flame. But Abraham's son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are being tormented. What do we see in this story? Heaven is a real place, but also hell is a place that is full of torment, that is full of pain, that is full of torture, that is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we need to teach the gospel because, and save one's soul, because heaven is real, but also hell is real. And that should motivate us to be concerned about people's souls. And we need to save a multitude and cover a multitude of sins from death, James chapter 5 and verse 19, by preaching and teaching the gospel. We need to save one soul because of the value of one soul, because of the power of one soul, because eternity is real. But number four, because we have the truth. We have the truth. Truth is what will judge us in the last days. John 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, The words which I have spoken will judge that which shall judge you in the last days. The truth is what's going to set us free. John 8 and verse number 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from sin. Set you free from going to an everlasting punishment called hell. We need to know the truth. We need to obey the truth. But friends, this is the sad part. People change or attempt to change the truth. Read the book of Galatians. There in the early church, what were they doing? He says, I so soon am marveled that you are so soon removed from that which is called you to another gospel because you have perverted, because you have altered, because you have changed and twisted the scriptures and obeyed not another gospel, but added another gospel. And we see the importance of not changing God's word, not being obedient to the commandments of man, Matthew 15, 7 through 9. And therefore, we need to go back to the Bible and simply do things in Bible ways and teach what the Bible says, First Peter 4 and verse number 11. Because we need to speak where the Bible speaks. The truth is what's going to judge us. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, you know what's going to be opened up? There in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it kind of gives us that judgment thing, showing that judgment day is going to be real. And it says, and the books, plural, will be opened. There's two books that's going to be opened on the day of judgment. Number one, it's going to be the book of life. And you need to make sure your name is written there. Because the names that are written in the book of life are going to be able to go into ever, ever, everlasting life. But the names that are not written there will be going to an everlasting punishment. So that book is going to be open. I hope your name is written on the roll there. But you know what the second book that's going to be open? 
going to be the Bible. Why? The Bible is going to be opened on that day because it is our judge. It is the standard in which we are to live by. And, it's going, and God's going to say, you haven't been living up to the standard in which the Bible says. Or you have been enter into everlasting life. Truth is what's going to judge us. There's a quote here that I have by Ken Goodwin. You might not know the name Ken Goodwin. It's Cliff Goodwin's father that has passed on to his reward. But in his teaching and preaching, I've heard Cliff quote this before. He says this, The truth will stand when this world is on fire. And that is what? Talking about the ju- the truth is what's going to judge us in the last days. When we stand before God and this, this earth is going to be consumed and the elements burned with her- fervent heat, this book is what's going to stand and judge us because the words of eternal life is what's going to be there. The truth is what gives people hope. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 18. Ephesians 1 and verse 18. Notice what it says here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of your glory of inheritance in the saints. Notice there. Why is their eyes enlightened? You know, you know, there was a, a movement called the Enlightened Period. And what was that? People are starting to know things. They're starting to learn more things. They're starting to be enlightened. They're, they're starting to let their eyes be opened. Here when we understand, and their eyes of your understanding being enlightened, hey, they're seeing the truth for the first time. They're seeing the Bible as a whole for the first time. Understanding the things of the Bible. That was he say that you that you may know what is the hope of your calling. Because their eyes have been enlightened, because the truth has been preached unto them, What did that bring? A true hope and a joy in their salvation. And the third reason we need to preach the truth is because truth is what will lead people to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. John John 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through me. Friends, when we preach the truth and the truth only, you know where that has to lead? has to lead directly to Jesus. All roads that are not truth lead to other things. But the truth is the only thing that leads to Jesus. And when we preach the truth and we teach them and going back to the Bible and doing Bible things in Bible ways, we will lead people to Jesus. Why is it that we need to save one soul? We need to save one soul because of the value of it, because of the power of one soul, because eternity is real, but number four, because we have the truth. We have the sample message of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1 and verse 16. We need to reach the lost. L-O-S-T. Number one, we got to have a love for the lost. we got to have a love for them. If you don't love the lost, guess what? You won't be able to save them. Number two, got to be optimistic about the future. you got to be optimistic. If you're, if you're a, down, a downy debber, you know, you're just all the time, that won't work, this won't work, it never will work. we got to be optimistic. we got to think, you know, this is going to work. we got to save souls. we got God on our side. All things are possible with God. you got to think optimistically. you got to have a strategy to work with souls. So we got to have a love. you got to be optimistic. you got to have a strategy, and that's what we've been working on and learning about the last few weeks. Defer, don't debate. Show, don't tell. Plant, don't pig. You have that strategy. Use them in your Bible studies. But number four, you got to spend time with the lost. Time. Why was it that Jesus sat down with Pharisees, the publicans, and sinners? Because he loved their soul. And he spent time with them to teach them the way. 
What about you? Are you spending time with sinners? Are you teaching them? Are you talking to them? Are you spending time with them to simply teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ? I gave everybody a bookmarker this morning that went with your sermon handouts. And on that bookmark, you see there, 10 families I can reach with the gospel. I'm giving you, I want you to take that home this week and pray over it. I want you to take it home and write down 10 names of people that you can possibly reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ this year. I gave you, we've learned the strategies. I want you to think about people that you can maybe sit down with and teach the gospel to. And maybe if you just convert one. What if you just convert one of those? You save a multitude of sins from death. And you save that soul from, from death. I want you to write down ten. That's your tar- This is going to be your target list for this year. You will never hit a target you don't aim for. Your bookmark is your target list. Who can you reach with the gospel this year? Save one soul. I want you to write down ten. I want you to try to save one this year. Try to get in a Bible study with one. I guarantee you, you get the, the, get the understanding and get the, the fire lit within, within you to teach one soul. You know what you're going to do easily? You're going to want to teach another one. You're going to want to teach another one. The power of one because it multiplies. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not have obeyed the truth. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through him. So I want to simply tell you what Jesus said in order to be saved. Jesus said, you must believe that I am he. If you do not do that, you will die in your sins. Jesus said you must be willing to confess your confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Jesus said you must be willing to repent of your sins, that is to turn away from, from evil ways and follow after Jesus and be buried in water or grave of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said that. Peter preached that. Jesus said that it would be preached in his name, Luke 24, 46, and following, and it was there in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Be, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. But maybe you're here this morning, and you need the prayers of the church. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you, because God will forgive you. If we can help you in any way this morning, come now as together we stand and as we sing.